and all the time. Man, it's good to be together this morning. Andy, so good to have you. Will and Andrew, good to have y'all with us this morning, and we look forward to Molly and Thomas being with us. It's a good day in the house of the Lord, a good day in Emmanuel United Methodist Church. Uh, revive us again. I know it's the summer. I know we're kind of out of sync of some things for people, but uh, may this day, this Sunday, this day of worship, uh, revive our spirits uh, that we may be uh, on fire for the heart of the Lord. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and holy God, we thank you that uh, we can gather for worship. Uh, we can gather in this place that you have blessed us with. We can gather with new friends and families. Lord, we thank you for your call upon Andy and his family and bringing him to be with us. Uh, Lord, we pray your inspiration, uh, your blessing upon him and upon them. Lord, upon the church, as we seek to be faithful in this promise of which you have called us to live out, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you reveal uh, that promise, you remind us of that promise, you enable and equip us and hold us accountable uh, to that promise in which uh, we are called to live for you. Lord, thank you for your living word that reminds us of that message this morning. So may it be your message and not mine that's heard. In your precious and holy name, I pray. Amen. Well, it was so nice to have the kids home for the 4th of July holiday. I understand now when parents relish the time when all the family can be together. The, the circle around the table was complete. The conversations on the porch were rich. Our son Davis, our college-age son, is at Lakeshore. It's the Methodist camp and retreat center outside of Camden, Camden doing the ropes course. Our daughter, Brooke, had been to senior high camp at Lakeshore and is a was a volunteer counselor this past week. Lakeshore is a place that my kids love. It's actually also a place that Susan and I love. As a matter of fact, a few summers ago, Susan was also on summer staff, the craft lady. And this youth director began to be attracted to the craft lady. And 25 years ago this week, we continued and celebrated living out that promise that we made to each other those years ago. It really excites us that our children are willing to share, to help people uh, at, at Lakeshore, the groups and the people that come to gather. Lakeshore is one of those places that helps us understand, helps us hear, and equips us to live out God's In today's scripture, Peter begins to talk to a group that has gathered. A group that's confused, and we'll talk about that confusion in a little bit, but they've gathered together for a special day. It's a feast. It's the Feast of Weeks. This is the second of the solemn feasts that the Jewish men are required to go to Jerusalem, second of three, to t attend. We might know it better as Pentecost. Pentecost because it's 50 days after the Passover in which they gather together. But it's this day that we recall that this gathering takes on a new meaning, a special meaning, a significant meaning that will never be the same. For the Holy Spirit comes and inspires those who are gathered. 
we see this in Acts 2. We know it as the Pentecost and the time in which in the first 12 verses that we learn that people are, uh, are given the gift of their native language and speak in that native language. And then we see in the next couple of verses, I think it's 12 and 13, that the people are awed by what is ha- taking place. And some even say, hey, they are drunk on new wine. But then Peter gives us a speech, a sermon, a words that help the people to understand what's going on. So I invite you, I invite you to join these words that Peter shares from the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. Join me in the Bibles you've brought on your devices, or there's some Bibles in the back if you're interested in following along there. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last week, we talked about God's promise to Abram. It was from the book of Genesis. Do you remember any of those promises by chance? I'm putting you on the spot. You'll become the father of many nations. I will bless you and your name will be blessed. I will curse those who curse you. Today we go from the promises of God to the beginning of God's people to the promise of God to the beginning of the church in Acts. The early church believed intensely in the coming in the second coming of Christ. But now people seem to be in a dilemma. What's going to happen between this first coming of Christ and his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension? and the second coming of Christ. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to act? Where are we supposed to go? There seems to be this state of confusion, and new converts aren't sure what to do. So so Peter brings some points of clarification. He reminds the people who've gathered of what the prophet Joel has said, that what is just taking place in this Receiving of the Holy Spirit and speaking in your native tongue is a fulfillment of this prophecy. It's a fulfillment of God's promise, not a drunken stupor, Peter says. But what was that promise? What was God's promise? That he would save them, that he would save the world from sin and death. 
And this has just been fulfilled in the life and death of Jesus. And what happened for them through forgiveness, eternal life, and now this gift of the Holy Spirit. God's promise, God's faithfulness was first made to Israel. And we begin to see in Acts and the following New Testament books how this message has been, stre- has been stretched from Jerusalem to the Gentile nations. God's purpose and God's promise is realized at Pentecost. God's purpose and God's promise is realized at Pentecost. Or at least it should be. That's where Peter steps in to offer some direction. Israel seems to be all mixed up, mixed up and confused on what it means that Jesus is as the Messiah, who Jesus is as the Messiah. Instead of his life and message bringing them towards Christ and confession, the people have turned to mockery and disrespect. These words of Peter are meant to be ones that bring them back on track. So Peter interprets the Pentecost experience, telling them, that Israel has made a shift. A shift that Israel seems to be hard at making that shift, right? We're that way too when there's a change and a shift to make that transition. It's a shift into the last days. It doesn't mean that there's a final apocalyptic event that's about to happen. But the last days of God's salvation in history have begun. Go back to Genesis creation humankind fell in creation we go to jesus in his life that god restores humanity through christ and now he begins his restoration of his kingdom and calls us to learn and to follow in his footsteps it's pentecost that marks this movement towards restoration and the spirit prepares the way for the church's missionary work this speech This sermon that Peter is offering is his commentary on this prophecy of Joel and what has just happened. Let me recall one part for you in verse 17, if you have your scripture still open or accessible this morning. Look at verse 17 again. Peter's telling the Jews that for generations you have dreamed of the day that God would break into history. That day has come. In Jesus, that day has come. Even though he has departed this earth, the necessity of carrying on his witness has become a priority. The Spirit given at Pentecost makes living out God's promise possible. In other words, the young shall have visions and the old dream dreams. We need a vision today to build upon the dreams of those who've gone before us. Do you remember our vision as a church? It's in your worship guide. Our church is a growing and vital community where Christ is transforming lives. The problem is that I think fear sometimes stands in the way. Have you ever read a book? It's an old book by Spencer Johnson, Who Moved My Cheese? 
Anybody recall that? If you recall it, you probably smile and remember. Davis, when he came home from school, I think my mother asked him or something, but it's one of those books that's been sitting on my shelf for years. And he pulled it off and he read it. It's an interesting book about lab mice that are trying to outsmart the scientists and figure out where their cheese is going or why it's being reduced or why it's in a different place and how they're going to get from A to C to N to all these different places of where the cheese is located. The mice characters were faced with the question, what would you do if you were not afraid? What would you do if you were not afraid? It stopped the mice in their tracks. It's a question that keeps coming into my mind. What would I do if I were not afraid? What would you do if you were not afraid? What would the church do if the church was not afraid? Where would the church be if we were not afraid? Two weeks ago, many of the staff participated in CPR and the AED training good to know we've got an AED bag back here if you need it and I hope you don't I hope we never have to execute that training but what it did for me was confidence it took away that fear it took away that scare that hesitancy that if we ever do have to use it then I hope with confidence and without fear we can proceed building this new building is just one of many examples of how Emmanuel has not been afraid. The community room lies at the heart of this building, and the use has been tremendous. Perhaps you might be aware that we were asked to host AA for six days a week in the morning. We were already hosting at night for several days, and at first my impression was like, wow, that's a lot, and a lot of time to tie up the building. They started meeting the first of the month. It's a week now. On Thursday morning, I had the opportunity to see the people who came to AA. All different people of all different ages from all different walks of life. And they kept coming and coming. It was one of those moments for me that I was moved. I was moved that here was an opportunity for the church to be the community, for allow others to come in the community to face the challenges and the fears and to be together to work through. And a neat thing was after it was over, the conversations and the camaraderie that was taking place. This was the dream. We just didn't know what it looked like. What other dreams do we need to be open to? That people might experience, understand, hear God's promise through the work, the ministry, the worship that we do at Kirby and Messick. I've shared this before. I see the church as an airport. An airport where people drive in or fly in to be equipped only to be sent out once again, perhaps where they went or where they've come from, or maybe to a new destination to make the life and love of Christ more real in their life and others. Isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ never said to make disciples by taking them to church? 
or to a Bible study group for that matter. Not that these activities aren't an integral part of a disciple's growth, but the Lord has something more personal in mind. Says Stephen Davy in his article about the basics of discipleship. He talks about 2 Timothy 2. And in 2 Timothy 2, let me just read it for you. You then, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me through many witnesses, entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others as well. This word entrust was a first century banking term that literally meant to make a deposit. Paul is saying, you have learned things from me now, Timothy. Now I want you to take that truth and personally deposit it into the lives of others. Davy continued by saying there are three components that define true discipleship. Time, touch, and trust. Time, touch, and trust. The first is touch. We can't be a disciple at a distance. The only way iron can sharpen iron is through personal connection. This is the touch that invests when others withdraw. It perseveres when others disappear. Second is a commitment of time. We won't be able to reproduce life and passion for Christ overnight. It's not a jack-in-the-beanstalk type of faith. We're more like apple trees that need a lot of time to grow before the fruit begins to appear. And the third component, Davy says, is truth. The truth. The truth of God's Word. This keeps the discipleship process on track rather than one opinion contradicting another opinion. Without truth, discipleship of any kind will not have permanence. The center of spiritual discipleship is the truth of Scripture. The goal is much more than information. It's transformation. As you prayed this morning already, Andy. How do we at Emmanuel begin to live out God's promise? How do we at Emmanuel begin to live out our vision? I think touch, time, and truth are a pretty good model. The Spirit, the same spirits that filled the people who gathered together at Pentecost, is the same Spirit that enables us today to move past fear and into the next realm of transformational discipleship. Not just here now, not just for my children or your children, but for generations to come in ways that maybe we have never dreamed about. Now it's up to us to put these ways and this model into action. The name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit.
Gracious and holy Lord, as you have inspired others before us and you have blessed this place called Emmanuel, we recognize, Lord, there are more dreams to dream and much more ministry to be done. Thank you for the blessings of what has been done and is being done. Thank you, Lord, for who you call us to be and the opportunities and gifts that you have equipped us. Thank you for those who are willing to share in that endeavor. Lord, may you be our God. May you be our shepherd. May you be our Savior calling us forward to offer something of lasting promise for the hurts of the world. In your name we pray. Amen.